Thanks for tuning in to Real Talk, a discussion for women to get real about sex, porn, hookups, and same-sex attraction. A panel of four friends share their stories of redemption and answer your questions. This audio may not be suitable for younger listeners. Listener discretion advised. If you have your own questions, stick around for contacts and resources at the end. We are going to have them introduce themselves, so we're just going to go down the line. Um, I'm going to be real awkward and grab the clicker. Okay. So, who are you? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, Okay, hi. My name is Kristen, and uh, I am 26. I graduated in class of 2015. (laughs) And I was going to say, I know Alyssa. There's one in here that's 2015. Um, And, yeah, I was a communication major during my time here. Um, And I was super involved in Theta. That was, like, my big, one of my big things I did. Um, What else is on here? Oh, my job. Um, (laughs) I work here at Grace Bible. I get to be the Greek ministry coordinator and so help with sororities and fraternities. And, um, okay, some fun facts about me. I am a fitness instructor at Piranha. Um, Come see me, 6 and 7 a.m. It's early, but it's fun. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm a morning person, and I have a weakness for gummy bears. They're so good. They're like five-pound bag from Sam's. Anyways. Good evening, lovely ladies. Uh, if I haven't had the pleasure to meet you yet, my name is Allison. Uh, I am a college fellow here at Grace. Uh, I graduated in 2016 with an English degree. Yes, people get English degrees from A&M. Um, just some fun facts about me. That's my bae on the screen. His name's TJ. Yeah, right? Same. Love that guy. We've been married for... Uh, a little over three years. Um, yeah, just some fun facts about me. I'm not going to read it all because y'all can read. Um, but I have this dog named Junie. She's about three years old. I'm obsessed with her. Come find me afterwards. I'll spam you with pictures. Um, I'm also like an old woman and a middle school girl combined. Um, in my free time, you're either going to find me like crocheting and reading a book or watching Vine compilations on YouTube. There's like no middle ground. Yeah, amen. Uh, If you want to find me afterwards and reference Obscure Vines, I would love nothing more in the world. (laughs) Um, Last thing, just wanted to give you all a heads up. I am naturally a crier, and I'm starting my period in a couple days, so (laughs) tears will be shed tonight. You've been warned. Is this on? Oh. Hey guys, my name's Kelly. I'm also 26, and I graduated um, Texas A&M in 2014. Okay, good. <laughs> um, I did the easiest major at A&M, so no offense to this, but I loved it. It was ag leadership and development, so whoops for that. Um, I was also really highly involved at uh, Aggie Sisters for Christ, and uh, just some, um, oh, I'm currently unemployed, so yay. <laughs> um, I'm a Harry Potter enthusiast. I quote Parks and Rec like no other. I'm a Leslie Nope, in case you're curious. And I'm an advocate for both Taco Tuesday and Wingstop, and a proud cat mom to Aggie and Lemon. So yeah. Hey guys, my name is Julia. I'm currently a senior here at a and I'm a psych major. And after I graduate in May, I'll be moving to New Orleans and going to Tulane to get my master's in social work. Um, some fun facts. Okay, I'm a KD. I see my girls back there. And I'm also a college small group leader here at Southwood, where I get to lead sorority women from various chapters. And it's literally the best thing ever. Um, 
fun facts. I was raised Jewish. You'll hear about that in just about a second. Um, but I love Passover. My favorite holiday of all time. It's really great look into it. Um, I love Grey's Anatomy. I could literally live in that world. Um, also, fun fact from high school, I was grand champion showman for Round Rock FFA for pigs. Any pig? Yeah, there we go. Okay. I'm a very city girl, but we love the country. Awesome. Okay, so um, we're just, again, going to go down the line, and I just want to hear about um, what you're going to be speaking about tonight and what your story is. Um, Okay, gosh, I wish this event was like eight hours long, Um, but it's not. So, okay, while there are so many layers of the impact uh, that sexual sin has played um, on my story, it can truly be summed up in one sentence, and it's really just one verse from from the Bible, and it's Romans chapter 6, verse 19. It says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So I was in a four-year relationship with a guy in college, senior year of high school through the end of junior year of college. And uh, we believed we truly loved each other during those years. Um, Quickly, by the time the end of our freshman year, Um, we were crossing all sorts of physical, emotional, even like spiritual boundaries. Um, and so lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. Um, we did our best to justify our actions and attitudes and emotions, um, through every common phrase that I still hear now, um, that even you might be justifying, um, your sin with right now. So things like, we would say things like, we love each other. This is what you do when you love each other. And to our friends who tried to say, hey, can I ask more about this? And especially single friends, we would say, you know, you don't get it. You've never been in love like us, which is just really hurtful. And um, we know we're getting married, so what's the harm in having sex now? That was a big one. Um, This feels good and right. And so why... uh, if it was wrong, it wouldn't feel this good. It wouldn't feel this right. Um, we're not hurting each other, and we both want it, so it's not like we're forcing anything. It was, you know, we both said yes, and we're into it. Um, and then the last one was um, was big, too. If I'm going to marry this man forever, shouldn't I, like, test drive the car before I buy it? We even had, like, family really encouraging us to... Um, Yeah, with that. And so um, so it was hard. So justifying worked pretty well for a while, but the hiding, hiding the weight of my sin and my shame uh, became pretty crushing pretty quickly, um, which maybe you're even feeling that. Um, During the worst season of our sin, I was a Bible study leader in Theta, and he was a pledge trainer in Bucks. So we had reputations to uphold. People were looking at us of how to act and how to speak and... Um, so yeah, um, instead of getting honest with our community, we lied, we lied. And so my story was, I was covered with a lot of hiding and lying and justifying. Um, and so in, in that hiding, lying, justifying, um, 
essentially what I was trying to do was keep a lid on a boiling pot of quinoa. And so have you ever tried to keep the lid on a boiling pot of quinoa? Um, it's not even just like water, like water's not messy enough, like a boiling pot of water. Quinoa, it gets like, it bubbles over, gets in the burner, under the burner. It's just like so terrible to clean up. Um, and you just have to like call it quits. Um, you have to like start over. Um, so anyway, cooking tip, if you're cooking a pot of quinoa and it's close to boiling over, but it's not yet, the best thing to do is to lift the lid, expose the hot quinoa to the cold air and it will calm down. So exposure leads to calming. And, uh, but if it's already boiled over, the best thing to do, like I said, is just to take the lid off, turn the heat off, um, and clean it up, wait until you can clean it up and then try to start over. Um, so once you're, once you clean it up, you're free to try to make it again. Um, but if you're anything like me, you'll probably have a really close eye on it the next time you make it. So hiding, lying, justifying didn't work so great. So I tried to do it on my own, on my own, try to fix it my own way. Um, and I always failed. So through the love and the grace of a really brave friend, my junior year, uh, my sin was brought to light for the first time and praise God. (laughs) And my boyfriend and I broke up at the end of that year, but I had a lot of healing to do, uh, more than I realized I would need, honestly, but God is patient and he's tender. He cared for my heart and he carried me into conviction and out of shame. He carried me into truth and out of lies. Um, and so I would say God's word says everything we need to excel in sexual purity. And so when I started dating my husband years later, that's him, um, started putting the quinoa back on the stove, back on the burner, um, I was willing to try what God says because I'd experienced the depths of pain from my lawless ways, which led to more lawless ways. And so the last thing I'll say just really quickly, um, there's likely three types of people in this room here tonight. Um, one, there's people who probably don't see, don't think these things are wrong. Um, like what's the big deal? Um, kind of what I was, some of the reasons I said, and that goes for any of these topics. I think not just mine. Um, but you might not think masturbation is wrong or you might not think, you know, whatever. Um, and so I'm so glad you're here for the second group. Um, there are some of you that, um, so right now are sexually pure that you have, you don't struggle with these things right now. And I pray that these will never be problems for you. And I'm so glad that you're here just to listen, um, and to pray. And so the third group is people who know that these things are wrong and feel defeated and ashamed, don't really know a way forward. Um, and so I'm so thankful (laughs) that each group is here, that each one of the types of people are here, whichever you are. And I'm super excited to just continue sharing my story with you guys about how uh, I made some really bad decisions and God had some really measurable grace on me. So me running away and God continuing to pursue me. So Again, uh, I'm Allison, and I just wanted to share with y'all how pornography and masturbation has played a role in my story. So the first time I ever saw porn uh, was when I was in fifth grade. And I remember it was just some pictures or videos or something like that. And for the next couple days, I would go back and look again. But it wasn't this all-encompassing desire. But what I remember most from that time was sitting on the couch with my mom afterwards, watching a movie, and just thinking, she can never know. 
This has to stay hidden. Even at that young of an age, I didn't even know what porn was, but I knew that what I was looking at was wrong. There was inherently something dirty about it that I wanted to keep hidden. So fast forward to uh, summer after my eighth grade year. I had really severe depression and was suicidal. Um, And in that weak, dark time, my brain said, hey, you remember this pornography that you looked at a while ago? Why not try to self-medicate with that? Maybe that will make you feel better. And that was when I really became addicted. Um, I wouldn't have called it that. Actually, I wouldn't have even said that I was consuming pornography because for me, um, I most often just read erotica. And I was like, great, I'm not looking at naked bodies. I'm not watching people have sex. No one's being hurt by this. Um, So surely it's not porn. Surely what I'm doing is fine. But again, I felt this tug within me of... People don't know who I am. If they knew I was doing this, they wouldn't want to be my friends. They would say that I'm worthless, and they would validate this feeling that I have inside that I'm never going to be good enough. I found uh, Jesus in high school. It's when I began my personal relationship with him. And so on Sundays and Wednesday nights, I would be the straight-laced church girl who was always leading the pack and would read the Bible. Um, But also, I was the girl who would masturbate at least once a day. Um, masturbation kind of functioned as like a gateway sin for me. So as I was exploring my sexuality and I was like, you know what? I'm feeling myself, both literally and figuratively. Um, Like, it's fine. Um, And so I got into some relationships with guys and I said, okay, as long as it's not like penetrative penis vagina sex, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm saying all those words tonight. You better believe it. I was like, I'm still a virgin as long as we don't do those things. So I crossed all of these boundaries that I'd set up for myself, not even spiritually, but just morally that I had held. Um, And so it was just this dark time of sin and shame, and I knew that I couldn't tell anyone. So I was just like wasting away, and I would be fine in the moment when I was masturbating or when I was with one of my boyfriends. But when I would wake up the next morning or when I would be alone by myself in my bed after masturbating, I felt the brokenness of what I was doing. And I felt the darkness that I knew was overtaking me. And I didn't know what to do about it. And it was uh, my freshman year of college when I finally told the first soul that I struggled with these things. Um, It was actually at Impact right before I started freshman year. So you Impact counselors know that you have an influence on these girls' lives. Um, And I just really felt the Lord take me by the shoulders and shake me and say, baby girl, what are you doing? Stop living in this darkness. It's time for us to walk into this light together. So I said, you know what, Jesus? Okay, if I really believe that you're real, if I really believe that you died for these sins and you've already freed me from them, then give me the courage to let down these shackles that you've already freed me from, to open up my hands. Because honestly, I'd been addicted for so long that I didn't know who I was when I wasn't an addict. So the more and more people I told as I went through college, really the more healing that I experienced. And it was beautiful to have a tribe of girls around me who were praying for me, who were encouraging me and loving me. Um, And I thought that I was done with pornography and masturbation. And then I got married. Um, And I was thrown back into these sexual situations that were like triggers for me. And I realized that I'd brought all this baggage in that I didn't want to deal with, that I still had these feelings of worthlessness, that I still had all of these mental places that I would go that were dark that I hadn't dealt with yet. Um, So three years into marriage and my husband and I are still sorting through all that baggage and figuring out what that looks like.
All right, I got to get comfortable. Um, so uh, my first experience with same-sex attraction actually happened when I was in first grade. Um, a neighborhood girl befriended me. She's a little bit older, but when we would hang out alone, she would um, show me just, like, sexual content, and it eventually led to her um, touching me inappropriately. Um, I knew it wasn't right, and after that day, we didn't even hang out anymore. Um, but I grew up in a great family where I felt loved and respected, um, and I came from a great family where my parents had, like, the cutest love story. If you want to know about it, find me afterwards. Um, but because of that, I was a super romantic person, and I wanted to save everything and anything I could for, like, the first guy I was going to kiss, have sex with, all the good stuff. Um, but because I was exposed to sex at such an early age, I really struggled with pornography, probably around the same time Allison did in, like, fifth grade. Um, and this voice in my head, I wasn't a Christian, but this voice in my head said, hey, you should look at lesbian pornography. It will totally save you from like running any real experience you can have with a guy. And I was like, great. Uh, fast forward to college where I became a Christian my freshman year. Um, it took about two to three years being a Christian that God really convicted me over the porn I was looking at. Uh, he wasn't like, get rid of the lesbian pornography. He was like, no, get rid of all of it. And so I, I did. Um, and that was easy. That part was easy for me. I struggle with anxiety and self-condemnation. Like, even while we're up here right now, I'm thinking, is your hand shaking? Can they see that? Because you're nervous. And uh, it's just comments on everything I do. And it got to a point where one day uh, it really convicted me over the past, or sorry, condemned me over the past of lesbian pornography. I questioned everything about myself. I questioned if I was gay. Um, I couldn't even look at a girl and think she was pretty without feeling just, like, hurt. Um, during that time, while God was healing me and I was like trusting him with everything, I met a great guy and I was crazy about him. Um, but because God had allowed me to struggle with like this condemnation and like, even though he was healing during that time, I really developed a distrust towards God and didn't want to trust him with this new good relationship out of fear he was going to take it away. Instead, I took it away. My anxiety took over and it ended. So I, at the end of college, was bitter towards God for not helping me more, even though he had been asking to let me in or to let him into the story. Um, that led to uh, working at a place where I met a girl. We connected instantly, and before I knew it, I was struggling with um, an emotional attraction towards her, not even sexual. And I got to a place where I'd look at her and I'd think, this is what they mean when they're saying you're falling in love. And it terrified me. Uh, and what terrified me is that it felt good. It felt natural. It felt right. And honestly, it brought me so much joy, and joy that almost competed with the joy I'd felt for Jesus. Um, and so I tried my best to just trust God, even though he was asking me to let him in and to trust him with the feelings. And I was like, nope, I got this. And uh, it took about two years of him pursuing me to finally I just broke. And I said, I need your help. I can't try to be this you know, Christian girl that's just pretending to trust you. And uh, during that journey of trusting God, which was actually harder than the temptation, by the way, um, he just uh, showed me who I was and who he was during that. Um, up to the point where I didn't want to deal with the emotional part of this and remember those feelings I had with this girl. And it was just a couple days ago that Allie was like, I need you to go deeper into this. And I was talking to God just two nights ago, and I was like, help me. And he was like, remember those feelings. And he was like, remember how it felt so good. It was a lot of joyful things. And you felt this great love. And he was talking and I interrupted him. And I said, but you, you satisfy my soul. There's no one in this world that can do that. Not even the person I've loved the most. You know how to restore my soul. You know how to refresh my soul. 
And if that's the case, then you're my greatest satisfaction. And that was me two nights ago. So here I am. (laughs) Hey, guys, just a heads up. I'm a little under the weather, so if I'm eating cough drops and having a coughing attack, just bear with me. Okay, um, so my story starts a little bit different than some of y'all. I grew up a totally different religion. I was Jewish and had no relationship with Jesus, didn't believe he was the Messiah. Um, But praise God, when I was 18, he grabbed a hold of my heart and showed me um, who he is and the forgiveness and redemption that comes from relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, But my struggles really took off in college. I was coming from a broken sexual past um, with men, and I was um, always in manipulative uh, relationships in high school, and they really weren't healthy. And so I came into college with a mindset that I'm only as good as an object and to be used by men um, because that's how I've been treated before. And so that was the identity that I placed on myself, um, was an object that was only good for one purpose. Um, And so I became okay and complacent um, with that um, misshapen identity. And I really engaged in hookup culture starting my freshman year and primarily in my sophomore year. Um, I would intentionally seek out opportunities to have casual relationships with men, even though I knew there was no commitment involved, no care, no foundation on the Lord. But I was so desperate to feel seen and wanted and loved by someone, even if it was temporary, that I was willing to put myself in toxic situations that would leave me feeling depleted and empty after. Um, It didn't matter as long as I was able to get temporary gratification. Little by little, that was enough for me. Um, And that turned to be very toxic and enslaving. And it was something that I struggled with for years. And you might be thinking, okay, Julia, you can control what you do with men, right? You don't have to go hook up with them. But what I'll be talking about today is that it is a very enslaving cycle, um, like many of the other things that we struggled with. Um, But honestly, it was more recent than I'd like to say, but praise God for that, that he showed me Julia, if you are not seeking full surrender, you are actively seeking to live one foot in the flesh and one the spirit. You want to pursue your sinful desires, and you want to also pursue me, but you cannot do both. Because the flesh is enslaving, and it captures you. And the Sorry, did I say that right? Yes, the spirit is freeing. um, And those two things cannot coincide. And so Jesus just grabbed a hold of my heart and said, It's time. Like, it's time to let go of this identity you have, and it's time to find that in me, the source and perfecter of your faith. Um, So I fell deeper in love with Jesus this year um, and last year than I ever have before, and he has just shown me his goodness over and over again. But that does not mean that's not still a temptation. I still have those lies in my head. You are only good for your body. You are only good for pleasing a man because that is the lies that I've chosen to believe. But now it is spiritual warfare actively of knowing who my Savior is, knowing where my faith is found. So, yeah, it's still a temptation, still a struggle, but that's kind of where I'm at with that. Thank you all so, so much for sharing and being vulnerable and saying the scary words. (laughs) Okay, so we have formulated questions. Um, There was a link going around where you guys could submit your questions, um, and we had a phone number up there as well earlier. So we've formulated some bigger umbrella questions that I think will answer a lot of the smaller questions that you had. Um, So our first question is for Kristen. Kristen, is sex outside of marriage really so harmful? Okay, this is a really big question, um, and a really common question. And uh, okay, so the first thing I'll say is 
Um, okay, so is sex really is sex before marriage really so harmful? Um, first, there are a lot of really incredible resources um, to continue this conversation, this question specifically. Um, Grace College has been going through a really incredible sermon series on sex, God's design for sex, and different distortions, the redemption of sex, things like that. Um, I would point anyone and everyone to that, um, to those sermon series. Um, specifically there's a sermon that looks at the science and the, um, statistics, things like that, um, (laughs) that shows that sex before marriage does not correlate in any way, um, to a long lasting, happy marriage, including cohabitation. So that living together before you get married does also does not correlate with a long, happy marriage either. So that this, those sermons specifically look at the like science and the facts and things behind that. Um, so I'd point you there first, um, for, for this, for now, I, there's a passage in Mark that I think does a really incredible job addressing this. And so I just want to kind of talk through it um, and we'll, we'll talk through it together. So the idea is we are houses. Okay. So your body, you are a house. So just kind of get there in your mind. Um, Think of yourself as a home. So Jesus wants to protect your home. He wants to take care of your home and Satan wants to demolish your home. Um, and Jesus wants you to be renovated and remodeled and all the fun house Instagram things, um, and be filled with fun, happy memories. And Satan wants to rob your home and wreck it and burn it down and destroy your house. Um, and so Satan loves to use sex before marriage as a mask to put on himself to get into your home, to destroy it from the inside out, um, to use it as a wedge for your own destruction. So he puts on a mask as a wedge into your home to destroy you. Um, Sex before marriage has consequences, for sure. If you've had sex before marriage, you undoubtedly know that it has consequences. You wake up 10 a.m. the next morning, you feel consequences. You just, it, it's built in us. Um, if I'll say this, if you are a believer, if you believe God's word is living and it's an authority in your life, sex before marriage is bad. It is harmful. It is, it, the scripture says that. Um, and so it's dishonoring to yourself. It's in to the other person. It dishonors God. It hinders spiritual growth. It's really hard to serve the Lord when you're impure. Um, there's a lot of reasons. Um, the reality of what's happening when you give in to sexual sin and dating is you're allowing Satan to come into your life, make you a slave to sin, and destroy you. Um, he's creeping behind a door, desiring, hoping, begging you to have sex before marriage, um, to give yourself to a man who's not your husband, um, to make you a tool for lawlessness instead of a tool for righteousness. Um, and so this can feel like really heavy and really just hard. Um, I, I want to say something really quick to the girls who, um, if you think that the man that you're dating is your husband, um, I just want to say that you never know. I believed that for a really long time. My boyfriend and I said we dated for four years. We 
he was ring shopping. He had talked to my parents. We thought for sure it was junior year. That's when you have all those conversations about, okay, we're going to get married. Yeah. Okay. I think we do. You know, um, we thought we were going to get married. I would have said, yeah, he's going to be my husband. Why not just have sex now? Um, before, until the moment that you say I do, before you say I do, he is not your husband. The night before my wedding, I did not have a husband. Before I said I do, while standing at the altar, I did not have a husband. You don't know what could happen. Something could happen tonight or tomorrow morning. He is not your husband. And so I would just say, like, I, I promise you do not want to give yourself away to a man that's not your husband. Um, and so if you're like me and you slept with a man before you're married, um, it's bad. It's bad. But the next, the next verse in the passage, um, says the words of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men and the, and the blasphemies they utter and all the blasphemies they utter. And so forgive I can't cry this early in the night. <laughs> forgiveness, forgiveness is like freely available, which we, we hear that. And I don't know how involved you are in your, in a church here or whatever, or breakaway or your Bible studies or, so you hear that like forgiveness is freely available. Um, but, but it is, God really loves you and he still wants all those happy home memories for you. He wants to help rebuild your house for you. Um, and so if you feel like, man, Satan has burned my house to the ground, God wants to redeem you and he can, and he is saying, take it. I want to rebuild with you. Um, and so I'll say I've, I've dealt with the consequences, um, which I'll talk more about, but, um, but Satan doesn't, he has, he doesn't bind me anymore and he, he has not destroyed my home anymore. So there's hope. Kristen, Allison, this next one's for you. How common is it for women to struggle with porn and masturbation? Yeah, um, I think the fact that two of us up here mentioned it as like a major part of our sexual testimony shares a lot. Um, Really, I'm going to be talking mainly about porn just because it's a lot easier to track hits on a porn website than it is like, okay, how many people masturbated today? Um, So that's what I'm intentionally looking at. I recognize that I'm not addressing masturbation right in this moment. Hang with me. Um, So I pulled some statistics from Fight the New Drug. If you're not familiar with it, uh, Fight the New Drug is a nonprofit um, that's really out to show people the true effects, both psychologically and relationally, of porn. So love them. You should definitely check them out. Um, They did a survey of 3,000 women. And of those 3,000 women, 31% said they watched porn every week, at least once a week. And 30% said they watched porn a few times a month. So take a minute and look to the girl, look to the girl on your left. Yeah, like I'm being serious right now, look to your left. <laughs> and look to the girl on your right. All right, so between those two girls you just looked at and yourself, statistically speaking, one of y'all watches porn at least once a week, and one of y'all watches porn at least a few times a month. 
Yeah, right? That's what I'm saying. Um, Pornhub is the uh, world's largest porn site. Um, and each year they release statistics about the demographics watching their porn. Um, so in 2017, 23% of the people who watched Pornhub uh, were women and 77% were men, which might not surprise you. That's like the normal statistic we're used to seeing. Um, but actually, when you look closely at the data, women watched more porn than men did. Uh, In the 18 to 24 age bracket, which I'm assuming most of us fall in, um, women watched 5% more porn than men in that same age bracket. Let that sink in. Like, I don't know about y'all, but I hear guys talk about watching porn just like watching football. And women watched 5% more than that. Um, This was another statistic that just rocked my world. Um, In some cases of developing countries... Statistics suggest that women would have easier access to porn than clean drinking water. That is the world we live in. Um, So to say that porn is prevalent would be an understatement. Thank you for those statistics. Julia. Why do you think it is that we seek out opportunities to hook up? So when I was trying to articulate this, what I kind of came to the conclusion of is there is a personal drive and a cultural drive um, in, that influences hookup culture um, and is main reasons that we seek it out. So personal reasons. We have a creator that has created us as sexual beings. He is a God of pleasure, and he loves that. And so naturally, our flesh is going to seek out ways to fulfill that physical desire. Um, We also have emotional desires that are God-given and reflections of his heart. He is a God that wants to be sought out, known, and loved. He loves companionship. Um, He loves intimacy. And so we have these innate desires. um, But what happens is our flesh tells us, well, you know your body best, so just go seek it out how you see fit. Um, So I think that we have these personal desires really driving us um, towards hookup culture. And hookup culture has become so normalized. Look at our media. Any Bachelor fans in here? A few? Okay, great. I was hoping to get some sort of response. Um, Colton, the ba- Colton's his name, right? Oh yeah. Great. Okay. I've only watched, I watched one episode. Um, okay. Colton's a virgin. I haven't even seen much of the bachelor this season, but all I've heard is he's a virgin. He's not ready for marriage. Like who does he think he is? I even watched one episode with Morgan. I think she's in here. And one of the women was like, he's not going to be a virgin after tonight. It's like a negative connotation that a man in a media position of power is a virgin. And so what does that tell us? That our society encourages hookups and then it normalizes it. Also on a college campus, I know that my hookup started because I was a freshman and everyone was making out with guys at parties. And so I was like, okay, I might as well do that too. And then you become desensitized and you want more and more because of these personal drives that we have. Um, So yeah, I think that there's a personal drive of these are good desires we have, but we distort them and we break God's design for it. And culture also normalizes it for us. So true. Thanks, Julia. Kelly, if God's design is not for same-sex relationships, then why do I have these desires? So it's good to just start off realizing that um, we were designed by God with sexual desires, um, and they're good, because we saw that pre-fall. God made the man and woman to um, multiply and, like, you know, do it. So, um, (laughs) uh, but... 
once sin came, once the fall happened, all desires, not just sexual, were completely broken. And so um, God has us where he wants us to have him be our like most satisfying desire. And so um, he does care about our sexuality and how we pursue it. And that's why he's so clear about it in scripture. Um, and the call is not for, okay, these people over here who are male and female can have sex and do whatever they want. And then people over here of the same uh, gender can't do anything. No, he's calling you for like holy sexuality in everything you do. So that's less for everyone. Don't do it. Um, one of the things that helped me with this question when I asked it was, um, really the underlining question here is, is God good? If he gave me these desires or like just sexual desires. And the thing is, is that by not engaging in these desires, am I settling? And just to remind you, like, there's the word settle is just like not in God's vocabulary. And so when he says, like, choose me, like, pursue holiness, like, don't do this, it's for our good. All of his no's are for, like, just joy. And so one of the things that I really struggled with was, but God, like, if I'm not going to get married to a man, like, I want romance. And if you think about romance, what is it? It's deep intimacy between two parties where there's a constant pursuit. Who does that remind you of? Like, God constantly will pursue us even when we don't want to pursue him. And he wants the deepest intimacy with you. He's satisfying that. And honestly, just to be honest, like, just to finish this question, I love how real Jesus is. He doesn't say, come to me. It's going to be so easy. He's like, no, it's going to be hard. You're going to lay down your life, but I promise I'm worth it. Ellie. Okay, next question is for Allison. Is masturbating bad if you're not watching porn? So this is a hard question uh, because if you've already made up your mind that masturbation is not a bad thing, I don't think I can say anything to convince you of that. But what I do want to share is just my process as I've walked through this issue um, and really just what I have discovered. Um, So I think at its core, the issue we're getting at here is lust, right? Because you're saying, I can masturbate but not watch porn. So then, like, I'm not engaging any kind of lust. Therefore, it's pure. But the way I think about it, if there are genitals involved and some kind of touching and an orgasm, It's difficult for me to look at that and say that it's not lust or sex in some kind of manner. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 says, God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. So I think if you're asking the question, can I masturbate? Is that a sexual sin? There's a good chance that it is if you don't inherently know. Um, And I also think it's the wrong question to be asking. It's from the mentality of, okay, how close can I get to this line without crossing it? How much can I play with my sexuality without it being sin? When really, when we look at God's word, the question we should be asking is, how holy can I be? How much can I avoid anything that could even be perceived as sexual sin? Um... There is an author called Anna Broadway. Um, She wrote a memoir called Sexless in the City. Um, And it's basically just about her struggle of like dealing with sexual issues and the sexual culture uh, and Christian values. And I love this quote of hers. 
It says, whether or not masturbation can be part of healthy sexuality depends on how we define the second part of the question, healthy sexuality. Based on my reading of the Bible, I believe sex is one of the many ways God created humans to bear the image of our maker in this world. Amen, girl. Uh, When it comes to masturbation, I have had to conclude that it falls short of God's intention for human sexuality. In my randiest, loneliest moments, I can certainly wish for a different conviction. But even then, what I most desire is not the freedom to masturbate with a clear conscience, but to be married and near enough to that spouse to once again fumble our way through the best earthly picture we have of the Trinity's penultimate love. So that's kind of the whole like spiritual theological issue of is masturbation in itself harmful. Um, But I think there's also a scientific aspect of it in that you are actively training your brain on how to seek pleasure. Um, Justin Lehmiller is a doctor in psychology. um, And as I was looking up and researching statistics for this night, actually most of the articles I read were about how masturbation is a good thing. Um, And he was arguing from the same point of view. Um, But he had this quote uh, that really just rocked me and made me step back for a minute. Uh, He said, when we're masturbating, our perception of what is sexually attractive and desirable changes. In fact, research has found that heightened sexual arousal achieved through masturbation can make almost anything and anyone seem more sexually appealing. Y'all, that's scary. God created our minds to be wired in such a way that when we're sexually intimate and experiencing sexual pleasure, we're bonded and our brains are like, yeah, that's good. So even if you're not watching pornography, even if somehow you're masturbating without thinking anything lustful, let's say you're thinking about a bowl of noodles. That's like the least sexual thing I could come up with right now. (laughs) Say you're thinking about a bowl of noodles as you masturbate over and over again. You're training your brain to be sexually aroused by a bowl of noodles. Next time you go to your friend's house and they serve you noodles, you're going to get turned on and it's going to be really weird. And instead of enjoying the friendship, you're going to have this overwhelming need of like, oh no, I really need to be alone right now. And that's just not the way that God designed our sexuality, right? It's not supposed to be a prison for us. Um, Like as you're training your brain on how to respond to these sexual stimuli... And as you continue to abuse these dopamine receptors in your brain, you're going to find that you need more and more and more to get the same high. So maybe for you, it's not porn. And so it's not going to a more extreme version of porn. If it is just masturbation, you're still going to have to do more and more. So you're going to have to masturbate longer. You're going to have to masturbate more. You're going to have to masturbate in increasingly extreme and just like... I don't even know, man. You'll do some weird stuff when you're looking for that pleasure high. And it gets to a point where it's just so corrupt um, that I really can't look at that and say that that's how God designed our sexuality to work. Um, I I feel like people often think of masturbation as this lesser sin and like, ooh, I don't want to sleep with that guy, so I'm just going to masturbate instead. But really, scientifically, what we see is that it's addictive and it's destructive for the way God designed our sexuality. That is super, super interesting. Thanks for doing that research for us. <laughs> all right, Julia, this one's for you. Julia, are hookups really all that bad, especially if I'm not going all the way? 
I love this question because I use that to justify all the years I was doing it. So I did a little bit of research. I'm a psychology major. I totally geek out on neuroscience and brain pathways. So um, there's two major chemicals that are released when you engage in sexual activity. So I'm talking to all the girls, like whether you're in a relationship or just hooking up, this is everyone. Um, Two major chemicals are released in addition to a plethora of other ones, but oxytocin and vasopressin are both bonding chemicals that associate that person that you're engaging in sexual activity with, with pleasure and good things and joy. And so your brain literally becomes addicted to this person. Vasopressin is the same chemical that's released when women are giving birth and nursing. You probably heard mothers talk about that bond they have with their baby. Okay, well, guess what? That same bond you're now forming with random hookups and random people, and you're expected to just move on and get over it and move to the next. And we think as a culture, that's healthy. That's good. That's okay. Like, I'm getting like a high of emotions and chemicals. This is good. Let me go get it again. But you're associating each person with these um, chemicals in your brain and these bonding chemicals. Um, There's also mental health implications on this. So the American Psychological Association shows that women and men, both on average, who engage in hookup culture have lower self-esteem. This was absolutely true for me and many women that I've talked to about hookup culture were feeling this deep desire um, to be seen and have that attention on us. We like the idea of winning. And so these are very addictive properties, just like Allison was saying. And this goes for sexual activity outside of marriage, um, which leads me to my next point. Hookups are an enslaving cycle that leads to dependency. You are never going to be as satisfied as you hoped after a hookup. I always went into it with the mindset of, okay, it's going to be really good. I'm going to feel really good about myself. I'm going to have fun because sex is fun in the moment. And then I always think that wasn't enough. That wasn't good enough. And I need to try again next week, apparently, because like that didn't fulfill me as much as I hoped. I don't feel as beautiful as I had hoped. Um, and so it's not enough and we're left lacking and wanting more. So science should be enough to convince you that this is an enslaving and dangerous cycle of dependency, but we can look at what Paul says in Galatians. So in Galatians chapter 5, we see that the flesh and spirit are in opposition to one another. Give me two seconds. Okay, great. So Galatians 5 tells us that... (laughs) <laughs> should have marked this in my Bible. <laughs> Give me a second. You know what? We're just going to paraphrase. Okay, so Paul tells us that the flesh and the spirit are in opposition to one another, that the flesh is contrary to the spirit, and that they cannot coexist. I was always like, God, what does that mean? Like, flesh and the spirit, like, I'm a person of the flesh. I should be able to please the flesh as I please, right? And so what God shows us is that the flesh is enslaving, Um It is our human desires and lifestyle that we try to fulfill. Um, In my case, it was with hookups. And in my case, it was with random guys and getting uh, sexually aroused by them, both emotionally and physically. Um, And the spirit is one that offers freedom and joy. You tell me which is the most appealing of those two options. And so what Paul tells us is that we cannot do both at the same time. It is literally impossible. And God tells us that you have to be all in. We can either choose to be a slave to sin or we can deny ourselves and pursue Jesus fully in the freedom and joy that he offers. 
So yes, hookups really are all that bad, even if you're not going all the way, because those scientific facts that I was telling y'all about the chemicals in the brain, that doesn't happen just when you are having full-on sex. That begins the moment that you're sexually aroused. Those chemicals start forming in your brain and heightening. So yes, hookups are all that bad, even if you're not going all the way. Thanks for sharing that, Julia. I love that verse in Galatians because it's really convicting when you think about the times that we try to get the best of both worlds, you know, Um, kind of like what Kristen was saying of, yeah, I was this person to these people on the outside and leading Bible study, but doing this thing behind closed doors. And I think we all have moments in our lives where we can um, say that we have tried to get the best of both worlds. And Paul says, no, it's impossible. Um, So thanks, Julia. That's such a good memory verse. Um, okay. So Kristen, speaking of your past relationship that you shared, um, what were some of the repercussions from that relationship? Yeah, my story, uh, my story is pretty much immediately after the breakup, God really gave me a lot of joy. Um, Real, like immediately after the breakup, the the most turmoil for me was leading up to the breakup when I had a conviction and I had a desire even, which the conviction was longer than the desire, but to break up, but I didn't yet have like the courage or the trust in God to actually do it. I knew that I needed to, and I kind of even wanted to, um, but I was scared and we had planned this, you know, planned this whole life. And so, um, it's scary. Who are my friends going to be? We came to college dating. So people have only ever known us as dating and I'm, it's going to be my senior year now and I'm going to try to start over. That's like, that's really scary. That's really hard. Um, and so it really wasn't until Alex popped up that, um, my husband, um, it really wasn't until Alex popped into my story, um, that I realized the decisions I made in the past would affect me personally and in our relationship. Um, there were certainly repercussions between Alex and I, of course, you know, um, but, um, like, gosh, okay. For instance, we have just had an incredibly, very painful, difficult conversation and confession of my past, that being a big repercussion. Um, and lots of others, just things that we, like boundaries and things that we had to put in place that to not even make provision for sin, had to back way up um, of we can't do these things because it'll lead to this, lead to this, lead to this. So there were repercussions in our relationship, but I would say the main repercussion was actually between me and the Lord. Um, so definitely horizontal among relationships, but vertical too. Um, more so was the healing needed to happen between me and the Lord. Um, and the time period between when I ended my previous relationship and I started dating my now husband, uh, that period um, felt like kind of... So I use this analogy, felt kind of like with every new relationship, the Lord was offering like a brand new set of keys um, to like a car. And uh, even with my previous relationship, it was like, here you go, here's keys to a brand new car. And I was like, sure, thanks God, at first, like the first time. And it was awesome. And driving along, great. Okay, totaled, car totaled, Coke can smushed. And it was bad right? Previous relationship, like I told you guys. And so healing, 
healing had to happen. And then a, a guy popped up, asked me on a date. I feel like the Lord was saying, hey, here's keys to a brand new car. Take it. Um, not spitefully, because that's not him. Like, oh, take it. We'll see what happens. Um, but he truly is like, take this. I want to give this to you. Um, and I was like, I was a little hesitant. was like, I don't know. Sure. Took it. Drove along. Totaled. Crashed it. Bad. Soda can. And uh, was like, okay. <laughs> so next, there was another guy that popped up and uh, asked me on a date. And these things are supposed to be like, good, get It's like fun when a boy asks you on a date. And it's supposed to be really exciting. And it felt for me like such terrifying responsibility. And so the, th- so the third time around, um, I really resisted and basically said, no, I'm not taking the new car. I don't care that you're offering me a new car. I, I am going to wreck it. And I really thought of myself as this like hurricane of ruin that any relationship that I engaged in, I was just going to like destroy this person's life. And what I brought in was just this like seductress woman that was going to like drag a man down into sin. And I didn't want to let myself do that. And so for me, it was like, I will be single for the rest of my life if I don't have to like separate a man from God. So I thought it's not sin that separates man from God. It's, it's me. It's what I'm, I'm, I'm the temptation. So I am, I am the separation which is not true. It's not true. And that was, it was just hard for me to separate my, like, my past um, and my shame from myself um, and the identity that Christ wanted to give me. Um, and I sometimes get off my notes. Um, okay, so yeah, so I didn't, I didn't want to acknowledge like, the gifts that God was trying to give me because I didn't trust myself to be a good choice. Like, I was like, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Let me save you. No, we're not going on a first date. And so when God brought new key cards to me in the name of Alex Moreland, I um, decided to take them this time after a lot of healing. So um, a lot of counseling in that time and just really processing with the Lord, speaking what is my identity? Like constantly asking the Lord like to redefine that in my life um, and separate out who I was from, from my past and my sin and my current struggle and just lots of things. Um, so I, I knew if I was going to get back in the car, if I was going to take the keys and try to start another new relationship, I needed to completely relearn how to drive. Because the way that I'd been driving, I'd only ever totaled cars. It's funny because I'm kind of a bad driver. <laughs> It's <laughs> a really good analogy. Um, but I haven't totaled a car since I was 16. So actually, you know, figuratively, here we are. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I had to completely relearn how to drive. And um, I couldn't date like I had in the past because that way had caused too much destruction, like I said. And so for for whatever reason, I just want to, like, proclaim this, even over for no one else, myself, like, for whatever reason, God views me and loves me more than I love myself. And his view of me is higher than my view of myself. And when I really understood that and kind of really started walking with God and trying to, trying to believe what he believed, um, yeah, I, 
it helped a lot. Um, yeah, it helped. And so I wish that I never had to remind myself of my identity. Um, I wish that I could just operate confidently from that place. My identity is in Christ. I'm great. Um, but I often, sometimes every day, have to remind myself, you're a daughter of the king. You are beloved. You are precious in my eyes. I have to like... Um, and. And if I view myself differently than God views me, I don't act in the way that God wants me to act. And so he wants to use me as a blessing to others, not as this like, you know, sin weight that just like pulls people to sin. He doesn't want that. Um, And uh, he wants, despite what I think he wants to use me to bring people closer to the heart of God, um, and not separate, separate from him. And so kind of back to the verse I was reading earlier, he wants to use me and he wants to use you as a tool of righteousness and not a tool of lawlessness. And so I would just say my, I obviously had repercussions in my relationship. Um, my relationships after this big four year one, um, but truly, the biggest repercussions were just between me and the Lord and just identity and myself. So, yeah. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for your honesty. Hey, Kelly, we're going back to you. What advice do you have for someone currently struggling with same-sex attraction? So my advice would be, um, if you haven't done so already, you need to just confess it first to God. Um, There's nothing you can tell him that's going to shock him. He already knows it. Um, And it doesn't matter if you feel like your thoughts are just hateful or that he's going to be like, oh, that's not something that pleases me. He wants to hear it. So if you're angry with him, if you're mad of going, why can't I have this? Yell at him because he wants to hear you talk to him. Um, What's great about that is that he validates how you feel. And... um, he then, once he validates you, he validates himself, and he validates the fact that he's going to take care of you, and it's going to be a journey, and it's going to be hard, and he's like, just keep the conversation going, because we're going to need that. Um, the next thing I would say is tell someone else, because you can't just tell Jesus. Like, you need community. We are built for community. We're supposed to run this race together. Um, I think of David in the Psalms. It's Psalm 32, 3 through 5, where he talks about how when he kept quiet about his sin, his bones wasted away. And later down in that Psalm, he talks about like once he confessed, how just satisfied and refreshed he felt. So definitely tell someone. Um, then I would say fight well and rest well. So you're going to get up each day and it's going to be a fight to get out of bed. It's going to be a fight to just trust Jesus with this. Um, and then rest well. So if there's a season where watching romantic movies is super difficult, might I suggest the greatest show ever and practical jokers. And that would just be great. <laughs> uh, cause I know for me, that's been my season. I'm just now getting back into being like, okay, I think I can watch the notebook. And so just, there you go. Uh, don't be afraid to be a mess. Um, and are how long you're going to be a mess. Um, I have a community of wonderful women from different ages and backgrounds who lovingly opened up their homes where I can just cry on their couch as long as I needed and can just pray over me. Um, and who weren't like afraid of like one day I was doing really good and the next day I was broken all over again. Um, and they just really showed Jesus to me, so it's really sweet and encouraging. Um, 
counseling. Counseling's like been like a bomb to my soul. It is so good, guys. And so I suggest everyone to go to counseling, even if you're not struggling with any of these things, like go and let have someone hear you. But um, being in counseling was a safe place to process my feelings and also where someone was equipped to handle my emotional struggles and also my mental health. So um, I highly suggest doing that for whatever you need. Um, And then lastly, just rest in his work. He's constantly sanctifying us, um, making us more into the image of his son. And I really thank Jen Wilkin for this quote, but I just heard the other day. A lot of good things are happening this week for me. Um, (laughs) But she goes, rest in that while we have desires that are broken by sin, as Christians, our desires are being redeemed by grace. So he's just constantly transforming us. And really, it's just receiving what he's giving Everything I get to say tonight is not because I'm so wise. It's because he is my wonderful counselor. I love it. Okay, Allison, you mentioned a little bit earlier about um, just what it's been like in marriage because of this um, just year-long struggle with porn and masturbation. So can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, uh, I'm about to get in my feels, so beware of the tears. Um, First thing is just redemption and forgiveness is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, The fact, gosh, I'm already tearing up. The fact that I can stand before my husband with all of my scars and my baggage and all the ways that I'm broken and I wish that I weren't. And for him to say, you're forgiven, you're beautiful, and you're worth cherishing. Is the most beautiful gift that I don't deserve. Um, it's the most beautiful reminder of who ultimately has forgiven me. And when I'm wallowing in my shame and my guilt, and I can't make myself look up for forgiveness, TJ is always there to remind me that I'm forgiven and I'm made new in the Lord. So for all of you who do have um, sexual histories that you're not proud of, There is forgiveness and redemption for you, Um, and the Lord has good plans for you. Even if that doesn't involve marriage, um, you will receive forgiveness and redemption in his arms, and that is beautiful. Um, But also, just being frank, my name is Allison Frank, so I like to use that all the time. Um, (laughs) Just being frank, yeah, thanks for that pity laugh. Uh, (laughs) Sexual intimacy is a lot harder. So both my husband and I have struggled with uh, pornography and masturbation. So I can speak from both uh, the person who is actually masturbating or watching porn and from the spouse that is affected um, by the other spouse watching masturbation. Watching masturbation, that's different. I mean, but it's watching porn, so it's kind of the same thing. Um, I have wired my brain through all these years... (coughs) to respond to uh, sexual stimuli in certain ways. You can kind of think of it like predictive text in your phone. Um, Anytime I go into a sexual situation with my husband, because we're married, we have sex, it's great, um, my brain says, oh, okay, you're on this road to orgasm. Um, Here are three things that you've thought about in the past that you've liked to entertain. Do you want to pick one of these options? So sexual intimacy sometimes is really hard because it's just me saying, no, I don't want those things. I want to be on this path. And then 30 seconds later, well, how about these three options? You haven't thought about these in a while. Um, And so sometimes I just have to look at my husband and say, baby, I love you, um, but I can't be intimate with you right now. Because if I am, my body might be here with you, but my mind's going to be with someone else. And I don't want to be dragging other people into our bed. 
I don't want to cheat on you in my mind and my heart. So I just can't. And honestly, that's really hard to say. Um, and as a spouse um, who has had to deal with um, her husband, you know, watching porn or masturbating, um, there are just so many feelings of inadequacy that I've experienced. Um, as you kind of heard in my testimony, shame is like a big thing for me. That's one of the enemy's favorite things to hold against me. Um, and so hearing that the person um, that I finally get to have sex with and rejoice in this beautiful gift that God has given us, to hear that he is like looking at other women, um, whether or not it's true, I feel like I am the ugliest person on the planet. And I feel like I'm a failure as a wife because if I can't sexually satisfy my husband, what am I doing? I have never felt so undesirable or hurt as in those moments. And it also leads to this breach of trust in our relationship because I feel like, okay, well, if you have these sexual desires, please tell me. I want to help fulfill those. I want to be a part of this with you. And so when, when he just turns to masturbation or when I just turn to masturbation, it's this heartbreak of why can't you trust me with all of you? We said I do, and that's what that was supposed to mean. So why are there these secrets? Um, But again, as hard as it is, and I've never been so heartbroken as dealing with pornography and masturbation in marriage, it is the most beautiful thing to tell him, hey, I've struggled with these things and I am so ashamed of them. And him to say, I still choose you. I would marry you again today. I would marry you every day if I could because you are a child of God. You are a beloved daughter and a princess. And I love you and I forgive you. And it's just... As hard as it is, it's the most beautiful thing. So they're the tears I warned you about. Thank you so much for your vulnerability, Allison. We all have, I think, just so much to learn from you married ladies. And I know for me, it you know makes me want to strive for purity all the more when I get to see these two ladies that are in just such beautiful marriages. So I hope you all are feeling encouraged, too, because it is hard. But, okay, so... For those of us that are not married, Julia, um, how can we lovingly call out a sister who is engaging in sexual sin? Okay, found the scripture this time. So, (laughs) in Galatians chapter 6, Paul tells us, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I'll repeat that last part. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So, yes, as believers... I know one of my biggest struggles was calling out people because I don't want to push people away. I'm scared to disappoint them or them think I'm judging them. Okay, but it's our role as followers of Jesus to see our brothers and sisters, I'm talking about sisters in this case, um, and call them out and restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So don't sit back and watch something happen and be complacent. You're doing a disservice to them. Um, So lovingly call out someone in a spirit of gentleness. Now, how do we do this? In Matthew chapter 7, I'll just kind of paraphrase. I'm sure many of us have heard, how can you call out the speck in your brother's eye while you have a plank in your own? Take out the plank in your eye in order to take out the speck in your brother's eye. Humble yourself before the Lord, ladies, because you are no more righteous. You are no more pure because maybe you haven't struggled with the same thing as someone else. We are 
all sinners, that we all fall short of the glory of God. He acknowledges that, but yet he still allows us to be part of his plan and asks us, come alongside your brothers and sisters. Call them out with humility, love, and gentleness. So um, the best advice I can give to this is approach with questions instead of accusations. Accusations are going to lead to condemnation. That is no way to help restore them and get to a point of repentance um, and deep desire of a relationship with the Lord. I know in my past, if people have told me, hey, what you're doing is wrong um, and that's dirty, I've felt just dirty about myself and ashamed and scared. And I didn't want to, but when I've had friends say, Julia, I love you so much. Let me walk alongside you. What were your intentions with engaging in sexual sin with this? Um, how are you feeling now? Are you feeling insecure? Are you upset? Do you not find your identity in the Lord? It's like, okay, thank you. Thank you for asking me these questions is pushing me towards the cross. Call out your sisters, restore them with a spirit of gentleness, call them out in humility. Um, Above all else, push them towards the source and perfecter of their faith. Your words can only go so far, but we have the Holy Spirit living in each of us when you accept Jesus. He can do so much more. And by encouraging them and pushing them towards a deep relationship with our Savior, that is going to speak volumes, engage in community with them, walk alongside them. So... Thank you, Julia. Okay, this next question is one that probably got asked the most often. And it's simply like, okay, how is purity actually possible in a relationship? So Kristen, what did pursuing purity in your relationship with Alex, your husband, look like? (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, the next one is really when we're going to need this. Um, Thanks for the lead in. This is the question that was asked most, so no pressure. Um, I'm really just going to share some stories of some things that we did, some things that were practical. I'll tell, I'll tell a funny story, and then I'll just share some like practical things that we did. Um, first, I'll say, remember where we left off. We decided if we're going to date, I decided, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to date, Alex had his own stuff, okay, right? But I was like, if I'm going to grab these keys, I'm not going to do it my way anymore. I'm going to relearn a better way, a different way, God's way, for how to do this. Um, and so we looked at scripture, we sat down early and we're like, okay, what does scripture say? How do we do this? Well, um, and uh, the first thing I'll say is you can't just have a list of rules, a list of like do's and don'ts. Um, you can't like the list isn't what's going to, um, give you the motivation to stay pure. Um, you have to have the discipline given by the Holy spirit to live out that list of rules. And so just sitting down to say, what are we going to do? What are we going to not do? You know, no kissing on the neck, whatever. Like you can have that list and that's awesome. And we for sure had a list. Um, but if you're not relying on the Holy spirit and building in discipline into your life, um, the list is not so helpful. Um, yeah. And I could, there's a whole other talk about freedom comes through discipline. And so I've learned that post like very recently through this new kind of dating, um, like a love for discipline anyways. Okay. So in my own life, so (laughs) here's a hilarious story. Okay. So, uh, one of the things for Alex and I, 
I told you we had to like track back, right? So it wasn't just, we, we knew we for sure can't be in my room alone with the door shut for sure. We also can't be in my house alone. Um, and so it was, you know, without roommate, blah, blah, blah. So you track back like, okay, if this is the, is, this is the moment where I can no longer say no, I can no longer flee from sexual morality in this moment. What are the like five steps backward that I need to look? And that's where that boundary needs to be. Not, we'll just keep my door open, but you can come in my bedroom. We'll keep the lights on. It's not just that. It's like, how, that's like two steps back. You need to take like five steps back. Um, and that was for us at least. Not, not everyone, whatever. Your list is your list. Everyone's different. Whatever. We can talk. Come find me after. Um, but so for us, it was, we can't be in a building alone without other people um, with us. So roommates home, if we're in the living room and all my roommates are in their rooms, we're essentially home alone. So we, yeah. So they need to be with us. So we really love to eat in um, and we like to cook together a lot. We always have. And so there was this one time my roommates were supposed to be home and uh, we, anyways, that sounded really like guilt trippy. My roommates were supposed to be home. (laughs) Their life doesn't revolve around me. Um, <laughs> shocker. Um, but they had said, yeah, come home, make dinner. We'll be home. It's great. And so I was like, okay, great. So no one's home, which is no big deal, but it's dark. And I'm like, okay, we can go out to eat. It's all right. So in that moment, we're just hungry. Like we're, we could go inside and it's like, it's fine. They'll probably be home soon, whatever. Um, but we were like, no, we no provision for sin, no crack in the door, no, like no nothing. And uh, so I had a friend, um, uh, who's here and, um, so I'm looking at her anyways. So I had a friend who was like, Hey, if you ever, um, need someone to come sit with you in my words, babysit, but if you need someone to come sit with you, to come hang out with you, if you want to do something, call me and I will come over And so we're in the driveway and we're like, we really want breakfast tacos that we make. And what do we do? And so I called Mandy. Well, okay. So first, uh, I went inside, grabbed a chair, put a chair in front of the window, pulled the blinds up. Alex sat outside, (laughs) called me, called me on speaker and he can see me through the window and I'm in the kitchen making breakfast. I'm starting, we're hungry. So I'm starting breakfast tacos as Mandy is coming over. So I call Mandy. I'm like, hold on, Alex. I need to call Mandy. So I hang up with Alex while he's just watching. He's anyways. And he's like, cool. You don't need to tell me on the phone. I can probably hear you through the window. And so I call Mandy and I'm like, Hey Mandy, which is super humility moment is like gut check is I have to be like, Hey friend, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, and so I was just like, Hey, do breakfast tacos sound good to you? Like, can you please come over? We really want to cook. And it really was like, I joke, but I mean, it's, it's hard. Probably nothing's going to happen. Probably nothing's going to happen probably, but I, you know, so sin is messed up. And so anyways, so she's like, yes, I'm coming over. Breakfast tacos sound great. I love you. I'm coming. And uh, so while Mandy's on her way over, call Alex back. Hey, (laughs) make him peppers. And uh, so anyways, so I cook. So Mandy gets there and Alex comes in and it was great. And it was awesome. Um, And we had a really great time, the three of us. And, um, and it was awesome. And so Alex left and then Mandy left and, um, and 
my big takeaway from, from that, and I still could get like teary eyed thinking about it is like, I remember the Lord, like clearly as I'm making tacos, calling Mandy and it's ringing, the Lord's like, how willing are you to look ridiculous for the sake of purity? How ridiculous are you willing to look for the sake of purity? And it was like, yeah, Lord, if your glory is on the line, I will look ridiculous. And so in my mind, it was like every car that drove by, like, oh, I look ridiculous. To Mandy, I look ridiculous because I can't even make tacos in the kitchen by myself. I look ridiculous to this guy that I'm dating, still trying to like impress because we're there. You know, now we're like, whatever. But, you know, like we're still like trying to be very impressed, all this stuff. And so how ridiculous am I willing to look for the sake of purity? Just kept like, and, and that continued to ring through my mind all through dating, all through engagement. Um, yeah. And so that's a funny story. Um, two more just quick practical things. Um, I don't remember who gave us this idea. It was not our idea. Someone told us this. Um, we, Alex and I both had a deck of cards, regular playing cards. Um, I kept mine by my nightstand. Alex kept his, um, I don't know, somewhere in the kitchen, probably. And he lived by himself, which is a whole other thing, which we can talk about, um, of like separate boundaries for his house versus my house. Um, but so essentially what would, what our thing was with the cards is if we were, if we abided, abided by our list um of kind of things we agreed to um we would get to flip a card the next morning kind of as like a reward i guess in a sense so what would happen is over time you'd see one side lower and one side grow and i were we were both really competitive it was really helpful healthy for us, really helpful for us to team up on something that was greater than ourselves. Um, so it was motivation. There are sometimes, truthfully, I, I'm competitive. Okay. So there were nights, there were times where it was like, get out of my car right now because we are on card number 46 and I got six more days until we get to buy a new deck, you know? And so it's like, I am not, it's like that idea of like engagement when you're so close to engagement, you're like, I'm not screwing up now because we're like 10 days out from getting married. Um, it's the same idea of like, man, we're so close to finishing this deck. And so, um, other thing for accountability's sake was awesome. Um, I told Mandy, I told all my roommates, um, Hey, if you walk by and the deck is started over, so if we didn't get to flip a card, we would have to start the deck over. I think I said that, but um, if the deck was started over, I had two options. I could either come to my roommates and say, Hey, we messed up. I have to start the deck over. This is what happened. Or I can let them walk by, see it and go, Hey, so I had to start the deck over. You want to tell me what happened? And it feels a lot better for me to initiate confession than for them to say, Hey, you told me to talk to you about this and I see this and you haven't talked to me. Do you want to talk to me? Um, and so that was just encouraging, made accountability really easy. Um, which was great. And then even for Alex and I, so (laughs) this is just really honest. So one of our things was we, we didn't kiss on the mouth at all because it wouldn't stop there. Right. So it was like, that is going to lead to this, 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 so back, 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 back. And, um, so for us, it was like, 
so there was one night I like kissed him on his cheek close to his mouth. And the next morning he was like, yeah, it's a bummer. We had to start the deck over. And I was like, what? I was, so mad. I was like, are you serious? And he was like, uh, yeah, that was like for sure my mouth, like for sure. And I was like, are you kidding? Anyways. So it was really good accountability for the two of us too, which that should not, that is not your only accountability. We can have that conversation. I will feel very strong. He, he is not the only person you're confessing to that doesn't exist, but it was helpful for us of like, yeah, you're right. You're right. And, um, and so, yeah, I think the last thing, the last little practical thing I would do. So I had memorized a couple just really sobering verses, um, that in times where I needed to instantly flee, probably the kiss on the cheek mouth thing, probably should have done this, but so in times I needed to flee right then, right there, I had these verses short and, and like gut punching, um, that I would recall, um, through just like through memorizing it. Um, so one of them, one of them is he who commits adultery lacks sense Proverbs six thirty two, Um, and so I, literally I would just be like, he commits adultery lacks sense. You are senseless. You are a senseless person. If you continue to do this and it was helpful and not, not like a shaming. It wasn't a condemning thing for me. It was like a, you need to get out now. Um, yeah. And then, uh, the other one is a, is a little bit longer, but it just says for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed it cannot. Uh, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So even just remembering like those who are in the flesh cannot please God and just, just like recalling that, um, cause there are times that you're already down that road and it's, it's hard to flee. So having those little verses, um, yeah, helped me a lot. So those are some stories. Those are great. Thanks, Kristen. Okay. Um, Kelly, what advice would you give to someone who's on the receiving end of a confession about same sex attraction? Yeah, so um, as Christians, there should be nothing anyone confesses to you that should shock you. Just like there's nothing we can confess to Jesus that will shock him. So um, when someone confesses this to you, don't freak out. Just listen with like a good ear and just let them speak their heart out. Um, and then once they're done like talking, that you would just thank them for allowing you to be into that space with them and that they were courageous and vulnerable enough to let you just into that space of where they've struggled um, and reiterate the gospel to them, reiterate that God loves them. Um, and really importantly, I think this is actually vital is reiterate to them that you see them for who they are. I know when I, the first person I confessed to is my home group leader, Sally. Uh, she's my next door neighbor. So it was perfect. And I just called her. I was like, I need you to get over here now. And uh, the, one of the first things she said to me at the end was like, I still see you. I still see Kelly. I still see your humor. I still see how much you love God. She didn't see me for my sin, and for a long time when I got up in the morning, that's all I saw. But it was nice that every time I saw Sally, I remember, oh, wait, you still see me. And that was just really helpful. Um, and then just lastly, God, again, God built us for community. And so um, you need to make sure that girl has community, and that just begins with you. Thanks, Kelly. Okay, so... We have, like, one question left for each of you. 
but our time's running out. So answer as concisely as possible, okay? So Allison, what advice do you have for someone <laughs> trying to break free from a habit of porn and masturbation? Yeah, no pressure. Um, okay, four quick things that I wish I had known when I was trying to break this addiction. Um, you should have realistic expectations. Um, so there is a chance that you could struggle with this for the rest of your life. God could snap his fingers and take away that temptation, but he might not. Um, and like, even though I haven't consumed pornography in years, my brain still has a file that it likes to pull out when I'm feeling really weak and tired and not confident about myself that has vivid mental images and experiences and just things that it tries to lure me in to just, you know, just watch porn once, just read this thing. It's fine. Um, but it will get easier over time. So the farther you get from the last time you relapsed, cause we all relapse. I couldn't even tell you how many times I relapsed. It gets easier and easier. So know that. Um, number two, train your mind. So pay attention to your triggers. Kind of like Kristen was saying, don't get in the moment and think, oh, how'd that happen? But really think back how many steps before really led to that moment. So for me, I realized I couldn't take naps, which was hard for me because if you know me, sleep is like one of my favorite hobbies. Um, and there was a period of time where I couldn't nap. Because I would just masturbate every time. Um, but thinking about it, I realized that the crux of the issue was that I normally napped when I was stressed, when I was feeling lonely, when I was avoiding my responsibilities, when it was like the middle of the day and I was home alone. And so it was all of those factors that really led me to that moment. And those are factors that I would experience even when I wasn't napping. So realizing those triggers was very helpful. Um, a little tidbit that I've heard that I love is um, tell yourself that you won't do the thing, whatever it is, for 15 minutes. Go do something else. Go to your happy place. Go on a run. Go read a book. Go call a friend. Um, and after those 15 minutes have passed, really the intense pull of that desire has waned a little bit. And you have a clear mind to think and say, okay, I'm going to say no to this because I remember why I'm fighting. I remember what that made me feel like last time, and I'm not going to do it today. Um, third thing, accountability. We could all beat the accountability drum. So I'm just going to say there's this app called Our Tribe, like the letter R, Tribe. Um, you can think of it as like a Facebook, um, but for accountability. So you can add your friends on there. There's like a news feed where you mark how tempted you are in the day. Um, there are resources for people who are struggling with food, anxiety, depression, porn, self-image, uh, being a partner of someone who watches porn. Um, and it's just like a great resource to help you uh, keep your friends accountable if you're going to be on your phone anyways. Um, and the last most crucial thing I could tell you is remember your identity in Christ. Because when you do slip up and you have those moments where you feel dirty and guilty and you feel back at square one and like nothing has changed, you need to remember the spirit that's inside of you. You need to remember that you can say no and your identity is not defined by that one time you slipped up. Um, so a couple of scriptures that I really love, Romans 8, we're more than conquerors in Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 talks about how no, no temptation you're experiencing is like a new thing. Um, there are a lot of people who struggle with this. But God's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And you know what? Because he's a gracious God who promises way above what we deserve, and he's so lavish in his grace, when you are tempted, he's going to give you a way out. Um, so that was just really helpful to hold on to in moments when I was like, I don't know what to do. Um, and really my favorite verse that kind of 
wraps all of this up um, is Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. So I just really wanted to read this over y'all tonight as a prayer for y'all. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Ends on a super convicting note, Um, but really just remember who you have around you. Remember who you are and who God says that you are, and remember what you're fighting for and what Jesus has already done for you. Kind of my mantra that I have clung to is a uh, little poetic quote um, from Aaron Hansen, and it says, there is freedom waiting for you on the breezes of the sky. And you say, what if I fall? Oh, but my darling, what if you fly? So this is me passing off the baton to you. You could come up with a hundred reasons of how you could fall and how you could be embarrassed and how you could relapse and how it wouldn't be worth it. But God is calling you tonight to step out of that darkness because he made you to fly. That's so good. Thank you, Allison. Okay, Julia, what practical steps can someone take to break free from the cycle of hookups? Okay, so to begin with that, Ensure yourself to not feel ashamed or embarrassed. That's any sexual sin. Because when we feel ashamed, personally, I isolated myself and alienated myself from people. I thought my sin is too dirty. No one will understand. And so sin festers in the dark. Bring it into the light. Enter into community with people. Do not feel ashamed and embarrassed. That is my first big point to really drill home. Jesus did not die on the cross for you to feel shame. He died on the cross and he defeated death for you to feel that freedom and joy of walking with him and being covered by his blood. Accountability. That's been so fun for me. I have amazing women that have my location on Find My Friends, and they know exactly where I should and shouldn't be. And they know that when it says Julia Freudenberger location unavailable, they need to ask me a question because I'm definitely somewhere I should not be. So accountability is great. Um, Have points for your friends to check in with you. Like, okay, I don't want to be at my boyfriend's house past 9 p.m. or et cetera. Just things like that, little tactical steps um, to bring accountability into place. Um, Surround yourself with like-minded people. I'm not saying push away people that aren't like-minded, but be strategic about the ways that you hang out with people. Um, If there's either men or friends um, in your circle that are causing you to stumble, Maybe get lunch with them instead of going um, to a situation that is going to tempt you um, and just engage in community that's going to push you towards Jesus. To finish out, heart change is the root of breaking free of everything that we have talked about tonight. Nothing will change if you just say, I want to stop doing this. But when you allow Jesus into your heart to fully transform your desire to line up with his, that is where change happens. That is where heart transformation happens. And that is what a relationship with Jesus is like. Um, if we want to be freed of any sin we struggle with, our view of God must shift. We cannot be thinking, our God is holding me back. Um, he's putting limits and boundaries on me so that I don't have fun. My God is holding me back. That is false. 
That is not true. There's nothing about our God that wants to restrain us. He is a God that wants to fulfill and satisfy you. Believe that truth. Dig into scripture. Dig into your relationship with him. If you've heard of the story of the woman at the well, it is a beautiful story. Jesus tells us, when you thirst of water of this world and you seek it in this world, you will thirst for more. It will not satisfy you. It will not fulfill you. But I, Jesus, if you seek me, I will give you living water. You will never thirst. That is a beautiful promise of freedom that if you push into Jesus who loves you and he's the pathway to have a relationship with our father through the Holy Spirit, press into that relationship. He offers freedom. He offers satisfaction and fulfillment and redemption. So anyways, practical steps. Do not be embarrassed or ashamed of any sin you may be struggling with. Seek accountability in Christ-centered community. Pour into those around you and allow them to pour into you and allow them to love on you. Your view of God must shift. Know that he's a God that wants to satisfy, fulfill you, and please you. Awesome. Thank you, Julia. Okay, this is the last question for Kelly. Kelly, tell us, what does it look like to be a Christian while still having same-sex desires or attraction? Yeah, so one thing I actually want to say, just so I don't forget, is just to the non-Christian who's here, um, and you struggle with same-sex attraction, or just you don't even consider a struggle, you just experience it. Um, the first thing you need to start with is not um, about, like, what do I need to do to, like, fight this? It's just to know Jesus. Like, that's the goal here. It's always to know Jesus, and then from there, we can talk about this. Um, for the Christian who's struggling, um, I would encourage them again that God's purpose is to have you have the most intimate relationship with him over anyone or anything else. Um, and let's say you desire um, same-sex like relationships uh, that are romantic. He will comfort those who mourn. If you're mourning over having to say no to this, he's going to take care of you. He leans into those who have broken hearts. And so he's going to take care of that part of you that doesn't want to say no to anyone else. Um, and with that, like all of our stories are unique in here. So not everyone's stories are the same, especially when it comes to same-sex attraction. But he leans into our stories, and he knows exactly how to talk to you. A common prayer that I say for myself and for others are like, God, tell me what I need to hear today. Like, what does Kelly need to hear to believe you today? Um, and then uh, this has been, like, a really helpful thing that I've heard. I didn't believe that first, but I do now. And it's that um, we, um, we can live without sex, but we can't live without intimacy. And so God's built us to be intimate. Again, with him, that's the most satisfying intimacy we can have, but also community. And so it is a vital that if you choose a life to fall after Jesus, and that means, you know what, I'm just going to say no to marriage. I'm going to say no to um, sex because I know that, like, for me, my desires aren't in line with what God has for me. Then dive into community. I've heard of countless stories of women and men whose their family is the body of Christ. They join them for holidays, and they join them any time that they're lonely. So... <laughs> Christians in the room who don't struggle with this, invite people into your home because they need that intimacy that we were designed for. And then, just lastly, um, I still desire a husband. That, like, never stopped. <laughs> and I'm very thankful for that. But that's not at all where I rest. I fully rest on the fact that, like, Jesus is the one that satisfies my soul. And so I just want to tell you right now, it's not about, like, moving towards, like, the heterosexual gospel It's just about the gospel, and that's all you need.
Thanks so much, Kelly. Okay, last question for the night. Kristen, tell us about just some of the rewards in marriage because of the purity that you strived for while dating. So this is really fun to think about because I was supposed to include this as one of my fun facts, and I forgot. My anniversary, my one-year wedding anniversary is on Monday. So I'm leaving tomorrow to go on our, like, fun anniversary getaway trip. So I'm really... So this week has been really fun to, like... Well, in the past, like, few weeks, like, you know, preparing for this has been really cool. But even this week, like, thinking back to wedding week and just really cool. Um, So thinking about the rewards in marriage is, like, really fun. Um, We were not perfect. I don't know if I actually explicitly said that earlier. Um, I don't want you to think... I mean, maybe you realized or thought, but... Um, we were, it was not like, I'm going to relearn to drive. And then, um, and then I relearned and everything was perfect. Um, so I think, yeah, first a, the first reward is I grew a disciplined life with the Lord that has nothing to do with Alex. That has nothing to do with my my marriage in the sense of my relationship with him, it has a lot to do with my marriage. Um, but so I think like intimacy with God was the reward. Um, and by his grace, God gifted me with, um, intimacy with Alex, you know? Um, and, and so anyways, um, I actually brought a couple, um, pictures. This is, I hope this isn't lame to anyone else. Um, so just for, just for a second, I wanted to kind of talk through, I was like, I hope this isn't lame. Okay. I I wanted to kind of talk through some of my like emotions in these pictures and I'll just, Alex gave me permission. I'll speak on his behalf for his emotions as well. Um, you guys are kind of far from this picture, but I'm crying if you can't tell. And we're behind a corner also, if you can't tell, um, (laughs) the, Okay, so these are moments of, like, anticipation um, right before our wedding. Um, Yes, dreaming of, man, our future, our life, that's really overwhelming to think about. But I think more so in this moment, (laughs) we're looking back at the faithfulness and the kindness of God to deliver us and rescue us up to this point. Um, just the relief on our faces that we never have to read a list of rules ever again, that we have like 18 decks of cards to play with now. Like I have so many decks of cards. Nerds. I got it. Like we have so many decks of cards and, and so, and my roommates and friends in the room can attest to all my cards. Um, but you know, it's just like, man, there is just, there's so much joy. Um, yeah. And so that's really cool. Um, uh, oh, you can't really tell in this picture. Okay. If you're up close, I kind of look pregnant in this picture, (laughs) which is just funny. And maybe a weird joke to make right now. Um, here we are. Um, yeah, I think to be able to like worship freely also, again, more so looking back on the faithfulness of God through our relationship. Yes. Looking forward, praising God for what our family, our future will be, but being able to look back, um, and know that by the grace of God, we're able to stand there, um, saying, Truly, we fought the 
best that we could. And we like, we weren't perfect for sure, but man, we relearned how to drive. Like we, yeah. (laughs) And everything else in saying of like redemption, forgiveness, like, yeah, it's unbelievable. So if you're dating a guy that's a loser, dump him. (laughs) It's just what I have to say. (laughs) So yeah. Uh, because there are like incredible people. So if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know that my boyfriend, like, you know, would forgive me or I don't know that redemption is like amazing. They're like in tears about their husband, you know, forgiving them. That's amazing. I don't experience that. Okay. Leave because he's out there. Um, here's another one kind of more zoomed in. Sorry. You still can't really see Alex is looking at a cross. Um, Yeah. And so, again, just to be able to, like, I mean, we're just overwhelmed. I wish you guys were all there. You could have really seen it, looking at some of my friends that were there. But, um, yeah, just weeping the whole way through. Um, So I think, like, striving for purity in any of these areas is worth it. Not for this. Not for this picture, okay? Because this is not it. Intimacy with God is it. Having your identity in Christ is it. Um, and so I, my desire is for all of you to be able to look back and be able to rejoice at the ways that the fight was worth it. Um, my prayer, my desire is that the Lord would use you as tools of righteousness and not as tools of lawlessness. That if you were once, um, you know, lawlessness to lawlessness was your was your days or are your days, um, that you would believe for yourself that, um, that God would want to redeem you and use you and that you are not a hurricane of destruction in someone else's life. Um, but that Christ, uh, gives you a new identity. So, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Can y'all give our panelists a yes, applause. Okay, so um, I know we're a little bit past eight, but just stick with me for a few more minutes. Um, I just want to point out um, a common theme that I saw in all of their stories, and that's the theme of redemption. Um, And so I looked up the definition for the word redemption, um, not just in our English dictionary, but in its original um, biblical language. And the definition was this, liberation obtained by the payment of a ransom. And I know there's some difficult words in there as well, so let me define a little bit further. So liberation is um, the setting free, um, setting somebody free from prison. And then a ransom is a payment that is required in order to set somebody free from prison. Um, So let me say it again, liberation obtained by the payment of a ransom. What I'm trying to get at is that we were once prisoners, um, completely incapable of liberating ourselves. And there was a price that needed to be paid in order to be freed. And um, that ransom was Jesus. Um, God sent his son Jesus to be that price in order to give us the freedom that we couldn't earn ourselves. Um, But God so graciously did that for us. Um, And so what that means is um, that Jesus has now completely opened up that cell gate. Um, And so now we have the option to either stay enslaved, imprisoned to our sin, or we can walk out 
And Jesus, you already opened that door. So what are the things that are enslaving you? What is holding you back? For me in my life, I have a a very similar story to Kristen's that actually parallels just like a whole lot. Um, I dated a guy for three years in college, thought I was going to marry him, and so we justified a lot of sin. Um, We had no boundaries in any area, Um, and it was just really toxic. Um, And I knew it, um, but... um, I, I had a foot, you know, in the flesh and a foot in the spirit, and um, I wanted the best of both worlds, and I was leading a Bible study and going to church, um, but living in sin behind closed doors, and um, by the grace of God, um, he shut that door, that relationship ended, and I was devastated, and for months following that relationship, um, I lived in this cycle of just endless booty calls um, with my ex-boyfriend. And um, essentially, that was the sin that I was a slave to. And what the girls were saying about the chemicals in your brain and um, just how that bonds us, it, it's true. Um, I, my body, my brain um, thought that I needed him. I, um, No matter how much I wanted to say no, every time that he reached out, I just found myself driving my car. Um, although... I, even in the car, I was like, I don't want to go. I know that I feel used and worthless every time. Um, and, and the issue was, I, I wasn't convinced that Jesus was better. Um, and what I came to realize is that we, we're all broken, right? And we are so desperate to fix ourselves that we reach for anything in our grasp, Um, as a quick fix. And anything that we choose that is of this world is a quick fix, a temporary one. Um, So quick fixes um, are like Band-Aids. We slap it on, and it just falls right off the next time that we get in the water. And we find ourselves in need of a new one. So we go, and we find a new Band-Aid, and we put it on, and it falls off, and then we need another, and another, and another. And we start to realize that there is no band-aid that is long-lasting. And we come to find out that what we have done is actually just delayed the healing process of that wound. Because we all know that in order for a wound to begin to heal, it needs to be exposed to oxygen. It needs to be exposed into the light. And in a similar way, the only way that I was able to break free from that cycle was by finally bringing it to the light. And it took months, y'all. I was so prideful. Like, there was no part of me that wanted to admit that I was actually doing that. Um, But I had to actually fess up. And when I did... um, Again, I was imprisoned in the cell with the door stinking wide open. um, But I did not believe that what was waiting for me on the other side was better. But now that I am on the other side, um, I, I have to tell you, like, the freedom and the fullness of joy that I've experienced from walking out of that cell um, is so much more satisfying um, than anything that was a quick fix inside of that cell. Um, and so I want to encourage y'all, um, if you are living in a cell of some sort, whatever it may be in your life, what is keeping you down? What are those chains? Because, y'all, freedom is waiting for you. The door is sinking wide open. What are you waiting for? And so tonight I want to encourage y'all to take a step, even if it's just a baby step. Take a step towards that gate because it's already open, and Jesus is waiting for you with arms wide open. And he is waiting for you full of forgiveness and grace and love. 
We are so glad you joined us. If you have further questions or want to talk with someone about any of these topics, contact us through the email in the description. We would love to meet with you.